left to them. But for those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he said, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Shall we uh, pray just for a moment? Father, we thank you for, for your word, for your living word. And Lord, as we look and try to understand what you're saying to us, would you speak to us clearly? Would you help us to know more of you, more of your love for us, more of your forgiveness for us this morning. Amen. Now, many, many years ago when I was 18, so it's going back 30 odd years, so I'll let you do the maths on that. Um, I was a member of a, a Christian drama group. Now, we weren't too bad, even though I say so myself. We performed lots of different stuff. We did the typical two-minute sketches in in front of a church, and we did full-length plays in um, 
secular drama festivals around the county and around the country. And we performed in various unusual and more usual places. Um, things like village halls and uh, amateur drama competitions I mentioned, and even at, at Greenbelt Christian Arts Festival. Some of the more unusual ones were we once performed on a farm, which was interesting, and in the ruins of Coventry Cathedral, it's actually quite amazing. However, the most unusual and most challenging venue we performed in was the chapel at Stoke Heath Young Offenders Institute up near Market Drayton. Now, this is my first experience of ever going inside a prison. And despite all our bravado beforehand, we were sort of fairly bolshy teenagers after all, I have to admit to being extremely nervous as we walked through the gatehouse. What would the inside of a prison look like? What would it feel like? After all, my only knowledge was watching porridge on TV. That'll date some of you. Others, Ben, won't know what that is. <laughs> um, at Stoke Heath, the chapel was across a courtyard. And my memory was of a bright Sunday morning with the sun shining all around that courtyard. And we walked through the dark corridors of, of the prison and then out into this sunshine. And it was like stepping into a different world. And as I've looked back at that morning, I can't help but wonder what those young offenders thought of us and thought of their time there. And what the 20 or so of the offenders that came to that chapel got out of it, I don't know. One thing I do know, however, is that picture of stepping from darkness to light that was so apparently for me that day is something that's still needed by so many people today. So why do I tell you this story? Well, as we've already mentioned, today is Prison Sunday. This week is Prisons Week. And we're encouraged to spend some time praying for prisoners, for their families, and for all those who work to support them. The theme that the Prisons Week organization have chosen for this year comes from that first reading from Malachi 4. It says, the theme is stand in the light. And the verse says this, as you heard. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And it's that theme that brought the memories from 30 years ago flooding back to me of that stepping out into that brightness and standing in the light. So let me give you a few facts. Over the last 20 years, the prison population in England and Wales has increased by around 42,000 to now stand at about 86,000. So that's nearly double in 20 years. A very large proportion of offences causing that imprisonment are in some way alcohol or drug-related. It costs just under £40,000 a year to keep someone in prison. That's more than it costs to send someone to a, one of the top public schools. A disproportionate number of prisoners have been in care as children or young people. About a third of male prisoners and over half of female prisoners have some sort of mental health problems. The majority of women prisoners have school age or younger children. And prison officers do a complex and demanding job keeping our prisons under control and safe. It's a job that's very little recognized or celebrated. And a couple of facts to make you think. First, it's more, there's more than 50% of prisoners will re-offend within two years. And second, proportionately more prisoners will have been victims of crime than an average section of the community, some of them at a very early age. So as we hear those facts, are we shocked? 
Are we disturbed? Or are we just resigned to them? As Christians, should we be supporting those who work to bring the light of Christ into prisons, whether in prayer or other practical small ways? Today, we're spending some time as a church, along with other churches, as Kate mentioned, around the place, praying for prisons. There's great work going on in prisons at the moment, through the chaplaincies, through courses such as Alpha for Prisons, and there's also some fantastic work going on to support families and prisoners on their release. If nothing else, I'd encourage you this week to spend some time finding out more about what's going on and about what you can do to support uh, the work there. How you can play a small part in enabling prisoners to stand in the light. And you can go to the Prisons Week organisation website, prisonsweek.org, and you can download some prayer resources there just to get you started. But what about us? How are we called to stand in the light? Those of you who know me uh, quite well will realise that I quite enjoy and have tried a, quite a number of sports and outdoor pursuits. However, something that I've never really understood is caving. You drag yourself and squeeze through tiny holes, not knowing if you'll ever find your way out again. You get dirty, scraped knees, bruised elbows, and for what? It's pitch black. You can't see anything. And if you've ever been remotely claustrophobic, then this activity is sure to bring it on. Now, I don't know if any of you saw Richard Hammond's program last Sunday evening, and at some point in there, he was doing some caving, and Judy and I just turned to each other, and Judy said, that does it for me. He was going through a gap that size. I wouldn't have got through it, I don't think. But um, even watching him do that was stressful enough. But for me, I've done caving once or twice, and the best moment is when you come back out of that dark cave and appreciate the brightness of daylight. Sometimes, as Christians, we can be struggling in the darkness of unforgiveness, and we need to step into the light that knowing forgiveness and also forgiving others can bring. And this brings us to our, our second reading today. Now, it can't have been easy being one of the first disciples. One day you're holding down a steady job with a family and roof over your head. The next day you're out on the open road, following with this man called Jesus. One day you had a steady circle of friends and neighbours. The next you're part of an extraordinary crowd of people, which included everyone from tax collectors on one hand to former terrorists on the other. And okay, while you didn't have problems with Jesus, there surely must have been times when the other people around you rubbed you up the wrong way or didn't share your point of view, or accidentally borrowed something that was yours. So it's little surprise then, that after several months of travelling around, and living cheek by jowl with strangers, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Okay, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? That's probably the sort of question we may ask ourselves from time to time. When our work colleague fails to pay back the money we've lent them, when our neighbour's cat decides to, that our garden makes a better toilet than their litter tray. When our nearest and dearest fails to make the bed yet again. And don't believe Judy when she tells you I don't do that. It's lies. Knowing how far to forgive is a very real and a very practical issue. And I don't think there's anyone who hasn't had to face up to this real problem. So what does Jesus say in reply to Peter's question about forgiveness? He says this, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times. Or if you read another translation, 70 times 7. 
490, I think that works out at or something like that. And just in case Peter was still unclear what he meant by this, Jesus goes on to tell a very simple but powerful story. Now I don't know if you enjoy Monopoly or did it as youngsters. I know I remember going down to my cousins in Somerset and um, spending a week, we were down there for a week, playing Monopoly. The same game, we just carry on playing Monopoly every night for a week. It was fantastic. Now, there were the once three children playing a game of Monopoly. Let's call them Tom, Dick, and Harry. One of the players, uh, Tom, was clearly winning and had managed to build... Sorry. Had managed to build hotels on the two most expensive properties, Park Lane and Mayfair. In the end, as always happens, one of the other players landed on Mayfair and couldn't pay up. But the first player was in a generous mood and didn't want the game to finish just yet. That's okay, he said. I know you can't pay me now. When you've made some money out of the properties you own, you can pay me back then. That's fair enough, said the second player, Dick. I can live with that. But the very next go, the third player, Harry, landed on the cheapest property, which was owned by Dick. And although Harry only owed Dick a couple of pounds, he couldn't afford to pay him back. That's it, he said. You're out of the game. And of course, that's when the argument started. After all, if Tom had let Dick get away with landing on Mayfair, shouldn't he have let Harry get away with landing on Old Kent Road? So maybe Jesus didn't tell it quite like that. I'm not sure Monopoly had been invented in first century Palestine. But the main point's the same, isn't it? There's someone that we owe a huge amount to. It's not the player in a Monopoly game, nor the mortgage company, or even the government. It's God. He is the one who made us. He is the source of our light. He is the one who loves us. It's no accident that the amount in this parable that was owed in today's money would probably be billions of pounds. The Greek says 10,000 talents, and one talent is 20 years' worth of wages. So 10,000 times 20, it's quite a lot really, isn't it? Times 20, what average wage, 20-odd thousand at the moment. So you do the maths, it's billions. The debt that we owe God is far greater than we either realize or imagine. And while this is a very simple and a very basic point, sadly it's something we all too easily forget. When we get out of bed in the morning, do we even remember to thank God for the gift of the new day? When we come home from school or from work in the evening, do we praise God for the good things that have happened to us that day? And I wonder how God feels about our lack of gratitude. If we give someone a Christmas present, or do some act of kindness for them, we'd hope that in some small way we might get some thanks for what we've done. Of course, there may be a chance that people simply forget, and we accept that. But when it keeps on happening, time after time, it can kind of hurt. So imagine then how God must feel when day after day we fail to recognize his goodness and his love, and his kindness. He surely has a bit of a right to be angry, doesn't he? But the amazing point of Jesus' story is just how willing our Heavenly Father is to forgive. So when the poor, unfortunate servant falls on his knees and begs for mercy, it is mercy that he receives. So how do we deal with Peter's question? How many times shall I forgive my brother? Well, I hope that you can start to see that when Jesus says 
not seven times, but 77 times, he wasn't intending us to start counting until the other person has committed offence number 78. What Jesus really means is that when somebody else has wronged you, you keep on forgiving more than you think is reasonable. Because that's precisely how much God, our Heavenly Father, has forgiven us. However, the proof of whether we really understand what it means to forgive is not saying the right words here on a Sunday morning, but in the things we do or say on a Monday morning. How do we react when someone cuts us up on the way to work? Or when the person we lent that five or two on Friday doesn't repay it after the weekend? So I think the simple truth is this. We are more like the servant in that story than we care to realise. We leave church assured of our sins forgiven, maybe with a fresh sense of God's presence and God's purpose with us. And as soon as we get back home, we get cross, we get angry, irritable with the first person that upsets us. That's why following Jesus, not only accepting his forgiveness, involves not only accepting his forgiveness, but letting his Holy Spirit change us from the inside, filling us with his love, with his patience, with his goodness, and changing our relationships with one another. This business of forgiving isn't easy. It's sometimes the hardest and the costliest thing to offer. And if we, if we need any evidence of that, we only need to look at the cross. That's how much God had to show, had to give to show us his mercy. He gave his only son. However, lots, let's not imagine that forgiveness is somehow just brushing everything under the carpet as if nothing has really happened. In the few verses before this story, Jesus quite clearly tells his followers, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. So true forgiveness is about being open and honest, about the hurt that's being caused, in the same way that the cross shows us openly and honestly the amount of hurt caused to God by our failure to thank him as we ought. But if we get, can get this difficult business of forgiveness sorted, if we're open to being forgiven by Jesus and to forgiving others, then all the evidence suggests that we will see a real change. Not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of those around us. We'll find ourselves able to stand in the light and not be disappointed by our failings. A little bit later on, as we come to communion, we'll be using the words of the Lord's Prayer and we'll pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought what those words mean, or how God's kingdom will come, or his will will be done. But I suggest that the answer comes a few lines further on, when we pray, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Do you see the connection? I expect many of, this, many of us this morning have prayed these words hundreds or possibly thousands of times, we probably don't even think that much about what we are saying. We fall into the trap of just saying the words. But I want to challenge you and say these words are at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian. It involves, firstly, recognising the way we have not given thanks to God. Not given thanks for his goodness, but so turning to Jesus in faith and his trust for his mercy. But secondly, it's also all about responding to Jesus' love for us by sharing that love with others. Being willing to forgive 
as Christ forgave us. And if we're up to the challenge and prepared to take Jesus at his word, then I believe that we've got good news to share in a world that is full of unforgiveness, that's full of loneliness, and that's full of fear. And that brings us back to the start, really. Because we've got good news to share with prisoners. We've got good news to share with their families. We've got good news to share with prison officers and staff. We've got good news to share with those who work in probation services. We've good news to share with the voluntary agencies that support prisoners and their families. And as we think on that good news, I'm going to close with this prayer. This is a prayer for forgiveness that was written by a prisoner a couple of years back. It's just one example of the thoughts of just one prisoner, but it really does give food for thought. I ask for forgiveness, and yet I don't feel forgiven. It seems that by sinning alone I am driven. I believe in God and his Son, Jesus' death. And for my sins, he sacrificed his last breath. So why do I feel so unworthy and unloved? Maybe because all my selfish actions I know God has seen. I want, I need to be cleansed from within. And to feel reassured that God has wiped away my sin. I don't care whether I'm rich or poor, I just want the Lord to come through my door. Doesn't he know it is open? So let's stand. Let's stand in the light. Let's stand in his healing rays and know ourselves forgiven and free.